וגם אני פתאום Welcome to Kolot. This is your host, Hillel Kappenstein, Director of the Columbus Community Kolot. It's an honor, it's a privilege to welcome all of you to our episode featuring Yaakov Shweki. And this is probably one of the most befitting episodes for our podcast because we decided to take Yaakov Shweki's song um, into our intro, which is really sums up this entire episode. Uh, project of Kolot, having different voices, learning from everyone, as we've spoken about before, who is the Chacham, who's the Chacham, who's the wise man, it's someone who's Lomid Mikol Adam, someone who learns from everyone, that's what we do on this show, and to have Yaakov join us is an incredible, incredible privilege, and you're going to hear uh, not just great stories, but you're going to hear a great message in what he does publicly and privately, so stay tuned for this, but before we get started... Allow me to tell you about our guest. Yaakov Shweki is a popular Jewish recording artist and musical entertainer. He began his musical endeavors in earnest in the United States with his brother Yisrael Meir singing with the Miami Boys Choir. Prior to embarking on a solo career in 2001, Shweki was a successful wedding singer. Since the release of his debut album Shamati, Shweki has issued a steady stream of popular contemporary Jewish music albums, including Shweki 2, Yedid, Hashem Shemayim, Adbali Dai, Libi Bamizrach, Cry No More, We Are a Miracle, and Those Were the Days. In 2018, he delivered Musica, which peaked at number three on the Billboard World Albums chart. Yako Shweki, welcome to Kolot. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. So you began your career with your debut album, um, Shamati, which I remember I was, uh, I think I was in kindergarten or first grade at the time, and... I understand that your family's always been musical, even around your own Shabbos table. But there's a difference between Shabbos singing and doing it as a profession. So when did you know in your life, like, you know, this actually might be my calling? Well, I didn't know. Nobody knows for sure. You know, you don't know everything and you still don't know everything. As, as much as you can, you know, learn about everything that's going on in the world as you grow. And what one thing that I really stuck to Um, that really helps me to this day is asking questions when I don't know it. And uh, my Rebbe, my, a few of the Rebbeim actually, and uh, I was very close to one of the Rebbeim, uh, who I learned with every day in Bechavrusa, which, which means in partnership with, with the other person. And as we know in Jewish study, the greatest thing is to have a, a duo back and forth, because when you ask questions and answers, you really feel like you should listen to the other person first before you make a decision. And it sharpens your brain to have another person, especially, you know, a person that you can get along with and study. So one of the thing was, one of the things was that I really felt it was to ask him. And I said, you know what? I was, I think I was already 18 years old at the time. I was singing a lot, obviously, around the Shabbos table for sure. Also at, uh, at friends, uh, you know, weddings and different things that I would be asked to, to, to go up to and be as a guest. And I was approached by a few people uh, 
to to sign up, uh, you know, to sign up something. Uh, I said, the truth is, I'm not even thinking about signing anything. I have to really study and, and be at a certain age and be a certain maturity before I even step into anything. And I asked my Rebbe, he said, you know what the truth is? He said, you must. He, he told me something very, to this day, I remember it. And I thanked him, by the way, a few years ago, he was in my house for, for a Shabbos, Rabbi Schaefer. And I thanked him. And I said, uh, do you remember? Tell He goes, yeah, of course I remember. He said, uh, you have a gift. And when a person has a gift, you must share it with the world. And yes, you have to share it the right way. Yes, you have to be prepared for it. Yes, if you're a studious person or somebody that's connected to Torah, which luckily I was, uh, you have to do it in a way that's, you know, doesn't interfere with what you want to grow spiritually. So there's a lot of different things that you have to take take heed and, and have in mind. But at the same time, you must, because after 120 years old, you know, you're going to face the creator and he's going to ask you, did you do something good with the gift I gave you? You know, what did you do for the world? What did you do for my children? What did you do for people? Especially a gift of music, a gift of singing. So I, I was, I felt very responsible to go into it. And, but I felt responsible also to go into it responsibly, you know, something that's in connection with, with Rebbeim. And I, he told me actually to get married first. So I didn't do it till I was married, you know, officially. Um, I got married at 23 and then, uh, I didn't even tell my wife, I was going out with my wife and I, I didn't even say anything until we got engaged. I'm like, by the way, I'm going to sing at the wedding. And she's like, what? You're going to sing? What? You know how to sing? I said, I, I don't know. I'm going to try and I sang the first. I sang the first song I did on the first album. You mentioned Shamati. You were very young at the time, so there was a song. Which became a classic. Little did we know, but that was introduced at my wedding. So well, there is your answer. Unbelievable. So you have a gift. You have to use it for the right thing. A week or two ago, I noticed another gift of yours, which is public speaking. When you meant to be singing, uh, is that your next career, public speaking? I don't know. I never thought that that would be really something. Because when I started, I said, you know what? The truth is, I'm not. I, can't, I, I don't know if I if I can just sing and leave the stage. I have to communicate with people. <laughs> and I'm like, the truth is, I don't know if they want. You know. So I started doing it between songs, explaining the songs, and talking about the Parsha and this and that. And as you grow older, you know, you start, of course I got, I've gotten more calls to, to, uh, but I'm not an official speaker. If, if I need, if I need to, um, yeah, you were mentioning last week at the arts girl dinner, of course, I was asked to, to, before I introduce a brand new song for arts girl, you know, to say the background and to talk about, you know, how I connect to arts girl and how I connect to Rabbi Zlotowicz and and the whole thing we were doing there. But uh, it's it's a part of the package now, that's for sure. So let's go through Shamati because that's there was a song Rachim that did so well they had to put out an album about how sick people were about the song. <laughs> <laughs> but so that definitely um, you know speaks volumes. Excuse the pun. Uh, why, how well the how well this song you know how well it was received. Um, and I've mentioned, I've heard you mention, like, there's a certain, like, you know, kvetch, a certain cry. There's a, there's a certain calling to the, to, to the Almighty in that song. How did it come about? And if you have a story or two about how that song has touched someone, please share it with us. Well, first of all, I just, I don't know if I should share, start sharing stories about Rachem, because I think I could write a book, and I mean that with all sincerity, of just the 
the happenings and the miracles and the the of course the private things that have happened in hospital rooms and so many with, with that just that song alone so i was very lucky to have to be sent a really a cry for am Yisrael, a cry for our nation and also it's words that we say after we eat bread berkat amazon when we we bless hashem after we eat the bread one of the things one of the paragraphs is rachem have mercy on our people israel mechal yishaim have mercy on jerusalem have mercy and bring us back to Bet Hamikdash that we so we so wait for, and it's it's just obviously that when you put a certain tune to words even from King David or words from our benching or words from our Torah, when you put a certain you know emotional tune that can really uh, obviously that that tune is also sent from heaven, um, and that could connect people with the lyrics with the words. The prayer becomes a different prayer. Um, that's why we are we are so lucky to have so many great composers in Jewish music, and so many rabbis have said that they're willing to do anything. Some Sofer said, Khatam Sofer said, he's willing to give one-third of his Olam Haba, his next world, to know how to sing. The Vilna Goyen said that he's willing to, if there was no Torah in the world, he would deal, be dealing with the wisdom of music all day long. So there are so many different quotes and so many different, there's a book I'm reading now about music, you know, where the connection to Torah music and how spiritual music and the, the, the power of it. So the power of Rachim, listen, there was one story that really, uh, really made it to the papers. And, uh, you know, I don't know if your audience heard it, but, you know, there was a rabbi, I'll say it quickly. There was a rabbi in Tiberias. I was there for a bar mitzvah to do it on a boat. Um, this is already going back uh, almost 15 years ago, but it's, it's five years after Rachim, I think six, five or six years after Rachim came out. And this rabbi calls my manager and he's with me in the car, my previous manager. And he says, by the way, I'm trying to reach Yaakov for so many years. He's like, what? He is right here next to me. We're on the way to, uh, he says, yeah, I heard you were in Tiberias and I decided to get it from a friend. He actually got his Israeli number. Back then used to have to switch phones, Israeli SIM cards and all that. And he's talking to him and he says, you know, my wife, and, and he says, can I talk to him? So I, so I said, for sure, I'm in the car. So I start talking to him. He tells me, you know, I had a, a, a situation with my wife where she had a, a very, very difficult tumor in the brain. Lena. And um, we had to take care of it. You have to tra- we had to travel around the world to seek, you know, advice from professional doctors and to see what to do with this brain surgery. And we come back to Israel and he goes to, uh, I forgot who he said, either the stipler, I forgot who at the time. Um, I don't know if it was Reb Chaim or Reb Stein, a, a very big rabbi at the time. And the rabbi told him, um, you should stay here in Israel and do the surgery here by this and this person. So obviously he said, I traveled around the world, but I'm going to stay here. He went to the doctor. The doctor said, you know, it's it's a um, very, very dangerous surgery and I have to give you the information. He said, you know, there's going to be a period after the surgery of seven days where if she doesn't wake up from the surgery as the days, you know, grow longer, you know, the less and less statistics that she will wake up. And if it's after the seventh day, then uh, the statistics, the, you know, the numbers, the stats go way, way down of her. You know, I just need you to be aware of this information and not blame the medical field. We are going to try our best to do what we can do for her. And obviously, it was a very, very emotional time. He said, I got the surgery one day, two days. She's out in a coma. She's not waking up. And I'm praying. He's talking to me and he's saying, I'm praying all day long. 
I'm crying. I have to take care of the kids. He said five days, six days, the seventh day comes. He says, and I wake up in the morning and I'm taking my kids, taking the kids to school. Yeah, I have to be the mother too. And I just have a little bit of help in the house. And I'm taking my kid to school. My last kid stopped and he tells me, and my windows in my car are open. And I stop at a red light, I think he was, or right next to the school. And I hear the song, Rachem. Rachem no ra, Rachem. Rachem no Hashem Rachem. And he said, I start to cry so hard that I couldn't even concentrate. The tears are falling to the floor. And right then and then I said, I, I might, he's, he's telling me, he said, I thought maybe I was crazy for a second, but I had this epiphany, you know, this idea, this total crazy idea. I dropped off my last kid in school. I ran into the store where they were selling the, the CDs at the time. And I said, what's this song and who is the singer? I said, I heard this song a little bit before, but who? This guy, Shweki, this is a few years after it came out already. So he said, let me have the CD. And he buys a CD. He buys the little disc man. You know, back then he used to have a little disc man with the headphones. And he turns around and he goes right to the hospital. He said, I'm running through the hallways. The nurses, you know, usually I say, uh, you know, a big hello and we talk. Not this time. I'm running with a mission. I run with the disc man and I'm running through the door. And, and, and as I come to, to my wife's room, the doctors a little bit, the nurses are all around her. She's still out. I said, excuse me, excuse me. Do you mind if I do something drastic? They said, no, what do you want to do? Well, I want to play her the song. She says, yeah, but she's half in, half in. You know, when in the coma, obviously they can hear, but you can't see that they hear. So I don't care. He puts on the headphones. He plays the song, Rachim. And he said, I kid you not, as soon as the song ended, on the split second, she opens up her eyes. And she said, what, what is that? What was that? So what do you mean, what is that? Do you remember me? Do you know who I am? He said, yeah, yeah. She starts coming back to herself. He says, my wife is next to me. And she wants to say thank you for, for you know, getting her out of a coma. I said, first of all, it's not us, number one. It's not us at all. And it's Hashem sending the song. It's Hashem also was sending this whole, I said, you know what? Come to the bar mitzvah. I'm inviting you tonight. Because if I share this story on my own, believe me, they're going to think I'm some sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, miracle worker, that which I'm not. And it's nowhere near that. Please come to the bar mitzvah and speak. And they come to the bar mitzvah. It's on a boat. I'll never forget it. And she took the microphone and she spoke. And she said the story on her own. She says, Yaakov invited me to come say the story. People were crying. First of all, the tears that went on there. And the emotions. And I realized then, even then, and that was the first years that I was starting out music, how powerful music can be. And the greatest power that it has, it's really the pen of the soul. And it's something that if we have to take seriously, and I have to take seriously. I really, it took me to another, you know, level mentally um, to understand that we have to really care what we listen to. And what we listen to really has an effect on our soul. And it's important that we listen to messages of inspiration, message of a spirituality, messages of, you know, of hope. Um, instead of listening to sometimes, you know, uh, although they're talented, there are millions of talented, you know, musicians out there, but it's not always the message that we want, you know, to have on our neshama and for our kids to to be involved in. Anyway, that's just one story. There's many, there are many, many, many more. We will, in Mirza Hashem, be interviewing Gedalia Zlotowicz, and I th- agree with you that there should be a book written on that 
song and maybe we'll suggest that to him um as a good friend of yours but absolutely that it, incredible it's you know it's it's like they say they didn't have music because it, it was not to be a spiritual party um absolutely well the 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 the, the, the was afraid right not only, he was afraid that amisrael through music will be inspired and turn around and leave his party by the way who if you think about it who can have a party without music what's a party without music but I won't take that chance because I know the even a Russia like him, they're very smart. A Russia like him, I don't want to take a chance, you know, on the Jews turning it around. Yeah, that's an amazing medrash that we have to. That also shows the power and the you can turn everything around. Based, there are many, many more stories I'm thinking about. It's unbelievable. But go yeah, ahead. Absolutely. No, the, you just said it. That's that's all it. Uh, you said that you're not a miracle worker a second ago. It was Hashem sending, uh, Hashem, you know, you were a shliach from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Like Yosef said, he wasn't upset at his brothers. Yosef wasn't, didn't have an ounce of resentment, which is like almost impossible to understand because he saw every, they saw himself as a messenger. Uh, I presume that that's what keeps you to some extent humble, knowing that it's not you. At the same time, at the same time, we look, you know, if I were to right now go on YouTube and search Yaakov Shweki and I was to pull up, you know, some music videos, um, there are millions and millions of views. Can you tell us a little bit about how you stay humble? Uh, first of all, I, I don't really go on YouTube to check and, and to know. I know that there are millions of people because, you know, today's today's way of just getting the videos around is through those those channels. We're actually um, today I'm helping launch a 24-6 app that's coming out that's just a Jewish streaming, which is going to be amazing yeah. um, for so many people that want to filter, you know, all the stuff that goes on in all these places. But having said that, that was the channel and the way to, to share, you know, with people. But I, I as far as... You know, I, I really I'm very lucky. I spoke about uh, having a Rebbe and having a Rebbeim and having teachers that really, you know, learned, you know, um, the Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim was based around ethics, was based around character, was based around really understanding what you're here for and really working on that in a way that um, to realize that life is very, very short. And if you if you ever think that you, you know, you're the one that's responsible for anything that you do. Um, it's just foolish, very, very foolish, because we're living on miracles. The fact that I'm talking to you right now and breathing, and if you just study a little bit about how the body works or how anything around you work, you feel so small when you start studying anything, you know, uh, about this life and about this world that we live in. It, it's just astounding and mind-boggling um the amount of miracles that go on on a daily basis for ourselves to be so so for us to ever think that we we are in any way responsible for the gift first of all i did i did nothing to deserve this gift to be honest with you i'm not any more special than anybody else to deserve you know when i started there's many people that can sing many many people with great voices and many people that can sing and i remember when i was releasing my new album i was in the coil at the time and I asked my Rosh Koyal, I said, the truth is, I tried my best. You know, uh, I don't know what's going to be. He says, he says, you never know what's going to be. He says, you did your best. You found the songs. 
you 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 worked on the music, you worked on the songs, you worked with the composers, you worked with the arrangers, you worked with the producers. You do your best and let him do the rest. And if you're constantly around that message and around people that really, I was very lucky, really, really lucky, and still am lucky to be, oh, besides my wife, marrying a wife that's that's all about you know, changing the world and changing special needs community and doing so many different things. We realized that, and I, I know the miracle of her journey. She should write a book also about her journey um, because that's an astounding journey in its own right. So being there for with special needs, being there with music and seeing how career just evolve, you know, because, uh, because God wants it to, it's something that uh, I'm very lucky to be connected to that, uh, to those teachings. Okay, so now let's talk about being on some level a public influencer. Um, do you get anxious before you go on stage, and how do you manage the anxiety? I mean, you're talking about, you know, <laughs> this is a little off topic, but you know, in in politics, you're you're like only as good as your worst day, you know, and that applies in many jobs as well. And to some extent, um, we're only as good as our biggest mess up so like you know there's a lot of anxiety there do you get anxious going on stage do you do anything about it how do you manage um baruch hashem well first of all you always get a little bit anxious and whenever you do anything in public i mean that's normal um but to to get really anxious and scared and this that thank god i don't have that at all um as a matter of fact, I'm very comfortable on stage. The only thing I get anxious a little bit about is, uh, is everything to go right in terms of sound, of engineering, of production. So many things that could go wrong. So you try to make sure that, you know, as best you can. And if something goes wrong, so be it. You know, there's many times, not many times, there's very few times, but I forgot the lyrics of a song. I don't get really, I don't really get uh, too hung up about it um, because I, I really feel that... Uh, we're, again, we're not we're not responsible. We tried our best, but we're human. And the the pro, you, if you can teach them also the product of the human condition that we're so fragile, and we're so that's also a lesson. Right. So it's it's uh, the fact that I forgot the lyrics. I'm I'm uh, I'm no more uh, you know smart than anybody else in the audience. You know, everybody has a mind, and sometimes your mind is somewhere else. I'm focusing on. On, a, on an emotional being in an emotional state or, you know, trying to concentrate on something. And sometimes that happens, but it's okay. Um, as far as stage fright, I mean, I, I spoke to uh, actually a good friend of mine who's a singer for many years, and he actually told me that he has stage fright and it's something that um, that's a condition. So obviously he's tried to deal with it, tried to work on it but has remained with him a, a lot of his life. And Baruch Hashem, I have to thank Hashem that I don't have that. Chamavadya, I remember going to him about these questions, you know, what should I do? This was one said that, and this one. He said, you have bitachon. You have bitachon, that you're doing things right, and always try to do things right, and you have nothing to fear, he told me. There's nothing, and he's right behind me on one of those pictures all the way to the right in the corner. And last uh, last few months, I was in Israel for Sukkot, Sukkot's time, and I sang the song Maran Shali for the chief Sephardic rabbi, his son in the Sukkot. Mm -hmm. And he was crying tears. And I was remember those memories of so many times being in his father's Sukkot. That song, Chacham, uh, Chacham Shali, you hear like that yearning, like you miss someone so, so much. Uh, I, you know, usually when I work out, I need fast music, but I, that song I could, is the exception because you just hear that, like, I miss you so much. 
Um, yeah, I, I know you picked for your for your podcast the song Kolot, which is a beautiful song. I think on that level and on that level song is Maran Shali. Maran Shali is a song, like you said, almost a million, probably the greatest uh, funeral that has ever happened in our in recent his, history for sure, because of a man that that um, you talk about Kolot means voices. He was the voice of so many, and he was the voice of so many different types of people because he loved the Jewish people for who they are. He never judged anyone. I was there many times, me personally, where I saw many walks of life come to him like their father. And you would see the scene that was happening when he passed away and you play the song and you really close your eyes and you picture the scene of taxi cab drivers stopping in the middle of the road and just going out and standing up and looking at the sky and crying tears, you realize what a man can do. One man, one mission, one love, and just a man, obviously, with of Torah, a man of just so much love for our Jewish nation. nation you know, that's that's an amazing uh, accomplishment, what he's done. You mentioned your relationship with Chacham Avadja Yosef, but what about some of the other gedolim that you have? I know that when we were in touch a couple of weeks ago, you told me to send your love to Haganer of Shalom Kamenetsky. Um, I know in one of your albums, you paid tribute to his father, Zulzai Gazunt, Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky. Can you talk about your relationships with them and also other gedolim that you've been able to uh, have relationships throughout your career? Yeah, I would say Rav Shmuel and Rav Shalom and his family probably along with maybe Rabbi Avigdom Miller just when I was a young kid. But but as I got older, Rabbi Shmuel probably, because Rabbi Shmuel has, uh, has my wife's center, special children's center. And uh, my wife also asked him everything when she was establishing her own organization, the special children's center, uh, which is by now helping almost a thousand families. So back then, uh, there were many, many questions to ask about special children wearing tefillin and bar mitzvahs and, and girls and boys and how to deal with certain, so many different questions. And uh, we got very, very close. And uh, of course, I got close to Rav Shmuel and Rav Shalom is somebody who who have has come and given talks to my wife's, uh, you know, Shabbos and what she has for the special children and the parent body. You know, so many people have questions about special children and they know it well. He has a special brother. Reb Shalom himself. Reb Shmuel has a special son. So uh, it's amazing. I mean, she passed away. The Rebbitson passed away. And two weeks before she passed away, this is already almost a year ago. I don't even know. what. And, and she passed away. Uh, two weeks before she, she came with Reb Shmuel to the center when they were, you know, opening, cutting the ribbon of their new building. And I remember her for the last time speaking so highly of what, you know, my wife and her partner and all the people that work there hundreds of people that worked there and hundreds of volunteers. And, and then she passed away and I, my, my wife was doing the Shabbos for all the parent body. And she invited Rav Shmuel. I said, Janine, there's no way Rav Shmuel is coming. His wife just passed away two weeks prior. So I know, but I still have to invite him. He's, he's the rabbi of our, he not, he came and he was holding the hand of his special son through Shabbos, just to watch him and his son pray in the synagogue at night with all the special parents and to hold his son tightly. He's in his 90s. And to hold his son, probably in his 50s, the Down syndrome boy is a man already, um, is just a chizuk. He didn't have to say anything. He has a special son. He's holding him tight. 
He's so close to his child. Two weeks after his wife passes on, he still shows up to a Shabbos. I mean, the closer you get to our great people, you realize the magnitude and the inspiration you can get from just how they live life, let alone answer your complicated questions, which he's done over the years. But just to see him live his life and the way he was so normal and so real, and Rav Shalom as well, his son too, is an amazing, uh, that's the relationship. It's a tremendous, tremendous relationship. No, it's, uh, we're, we're very lucky to, my Elta Zeder of uh, Rav Shmuel Scheinberg's Zetzal was actually Rav Shmuel's Chavusa in Lakewood uh, 70 or 80 years, 75 years ago. Our families go back and it just, you know, I'll tell you a very quick story. When we were doing a virtual gig, when we welcomed new younger uh, light to the Kylo installment of COVID and I called Rav Shmuel, I asked him, I wanted him to do a video for us. And I, I, I said to Shmuel, uh, I asked him, so when, when is a good time for the Rosh Shiva for us to do a recording? And like, I didn't even have to wait a split second. He's like, well, you tell me, when is it good for you? And like, he's a Rosh Shiva hearing, you know, getting calls from who knows how many people every day. And like, I didn't even have to wait a second. He wanted to know, he wanted to work around my schedule, which was like unheard of. You know what, who, who, you, you compare it to the, to the non-Jewish world where sometimes I had to talk to certain lawyers or whatever it is. It is amazing how many people in front of them they have to get to them. You call our great people, Reb Shmuel, you call him in his house. Yeah, hello. Hi. There's Rosh Hashiva. Yeah. Can I ask you? You know how many times over the years I called him in his house, he picked up his phone. There is no, you talk to my people and his people will talk to him and I'll tell you what we need. And you know why? Because you cut to the chase of humility. The closer you get to our rabbis, the real rabbis who have really, really have an effect on the world are rabbis that really think nothing of themselves. And that is their greatness. And we believe greatness is not how you are and how many hits you have on YouTube and how many. That's not greatness. Greatness is really who you are and how humble you are and how you want to help the world in a way that's as much as you can without letting any, you know, uh, kavod, respect, or anything get in the way of really, really your love and unconditional love for the Jewish people. That, that, that is, you know, what's the difference between a Talmud Chacham and a Gadol, we say? What's the difference? The difference is the Gadol, the great person, cares about others, is empathy and sympathy with others. Chazanish didn't have any children, but yet gave blessings and prayed all day long for people to have children. You know, there there are so many different stories of great, and that's that's our great people, how lucky we are. Ashreinu matov chalkeinu. The greatness is our lot of what He chose us. And gave us the greatest gift in the world, the Torah. And that's 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 who we are. You mentioned the his attending the special children's center. Um, which has changed the lives of families, not just children. It's, you know, I, I think it's okay for me to mention. I've been, I have a, a nephew who attends, and I hear from my uh, my brother and my sister in law that it changed the entire household because he's so excited to go to uh, the center every single day. And the parents, like, what what better thing for a parent than see their child happy again? So it literally changes the entire family dynamic. Where did that passion come from? Wow. First of all, you said it well because you, you say it with knowledge that it's not only the child. We've seen it time and time again. You know, I'll never forget there was a uh, one of the interviews. I, I think it was a non-Jewish reporter that came because we took at the time we took an Italian kid that needed help, and uh, 
we we don't say no to anybody and we of course if we can help her and we did and she came did the interview and she was amazed by the fact that because my wife started it the truth is my wife started it with really unconditional love for special children and the needs she saw so many people hiding these children and also being embarrassed you know 20 something years ago I'll never forget when I was engaged, she used to pick up the kids on her own with her own car. And I said, Janine, you know, you're from Deal, New Jersey. You have everything going for you. You have so many things you can do with your own life, you know, with your own, uh, you know, you get a degree or get a this. You come from a, also a, a family. You're comfortable. What, what, what do you need? She said, what do you want? these are my children. There's no, I'm going to pick up my children. There was no, yeah, you're dealing with a different energy. You're dealing with a different and right then and then, I, I knew, I, I of course, I chose the right one, but but the fact that till today, I mean, you're talking about a journey of just uh, her and her partner, Mrs. Bender, starting off, you know, uh, a center, which a lot a lot of challenges, a lot of people, you know, uh, said that they couldn't be done because, you know, the money is not really an after school respite. It's, it's not in there. You, you lose money. So she said, it's not about money. I'm going to do things right. I'm going to, and even if people that don't have that much, I'm going to still take them in. And, it, you know, those type of really, a lot of people think that way, but to actually do it, I thought it was an amazing, she used to go pull up with her own car and pick up the kids and the mothers, and you know, would just put the child outside and close the door quickly so you don't see their face. And she said, one day, one day, I'm telling you, I'm going to build a flagship building where people are going to walk in so happy. Yes, of course, there's going to be challenges with special children. Yes, of course, there's going to be a lot of hardship. But I'm going to relieve that hardship. And I'm, you're going to walk in and you're going to feel happy to be a part of the Special Children's Center family. And we're going to have and we're going to take care of it. And now, as, as that reporter asked my wife, what's your divorce rate? And she said, what divorce rate? There is no She said, what? She couldn't believe it. She said, yeah, we take care of the kids so much and we relieve the family so much that the marriages are different marriages. The siblings, the other siblings could be tended to. You know, there's so many different question and answer forms that you could. And and that's, I, I think, probably one of the greatest things with special, you know, in the special needs community that was ever done. And uh, they got awards, of course, but they're not looking for awards. They're not looking for, you know, they're really constantly always trying to do more. They just bought a farm now. They bought a huge farm, you know, of at th- you know, 30 acres that they're going to develop and they're going to make it for, you know, as the children are getting older, they need jobs. They're doing a cafeteria now that the children are working. They're going to work and serve coffee to everybody. They're always ahead of the game and, you know, building now in five towns, actually a center. They're actually just bought a, a building in Brooklyn this year. So it's constant you know, that doesn't stop you. She, I, I always ask her, you know, when are you going to stop to, to, no, no, that whatever needs to be done, we are going to do. And Hashem is going to help us accomplish it. And I see it happening right in front of me. I, I think the best part that you just said is someone dropped off their child and they just, you know, the, the shame. And today you, you listen to parents, they're filled with pride. We belong to the center. It's like it's our school too. And and, and literally, I it's you gave them a first class, uh, first class life, and it it's unbelievable to see that chizik and that simcha. They still believe that. I mean, you come in there and you see a five star building. There's a, we're actually in, in in the works of maybe making now an aquatic 
you know, uh, water park and pool. And we're working on so many different things all the time to really, because she always told me, she said, Yako, I remember going to Los Angeles. I don't know if I told you this last time, but I say it always because I'll never forget. It was on my first trip after we got engaged. We went to Los Angeles with the kids. Every year they take them to Disney World in Florida, obviously before COVID. And we were there in Los Angeles. And I said, Janine, you know, where we're going to the, the trip you only have a certain budget. She said, what budget? I'm, I'm doing whatever it takes for these kids. She said, I said, where are we going to eat tonight? We just got to LA. Well, well, let me ask you a question. Where would me and you eat? I said, I don't know, maybe a nice steakhouse, Pat's, you know, one of these. Uh... She says, well, that's where we're going. We're taking the whole group and we're going there. I said, wow. It says it's going to cost you about uh, $3,000 just for dinner, $4,000, whatever it is. She says, so that's what I would eat. If I'm going to eat there, that's what they're going to eat. And she said it really with a normal, she didn't even think it was such a great, I always point to this story because it was one of the first trips that I've done with the center, you know, over 20 years ago. I point to that story because the fact is that it comes natural. It comes natural to say, hey, if I want a five-star life, if I go to a steakhouse, I want them to have the same thing. And I want them to have that life that I have. And I'm not going to, ever shortchange because of anything just to give them that life. And they still have that passion and that fire. So that's amazing. Especially, really amazing. especially when you're dealing with some of the holiest neshamot, some of the holiest uh, uh, souls that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has put in this world. Um, they say stories that uh, I mean, I think it was the Chazanish, like he stood up for one of these children and yeah, you know, yeah, that's the story. He stood up and his Gabbai asked him, his his, his helper asked him, what, what, Rabbi, I never saw you stand up for anybody, especially a kid. You're going to stand up for a child? And he said, stand up for a child? You, you don't see what I see. You don't see what I see. You don't see a high, high soul that comes from where, a place that we can never come from. I see that in front of me. You don't see that. And he that that's a special children, no question about it. So as we wind down, um, we've talked a lot about yourself, your relationships, music, the center. Um, getting back to music, you know, unfortunately in today's world with technology, everyone could be anywhere and listen to anything at any time. Um, and the temptations of you know, non-Jewish music are are very strong, and you know they're the ones that you know get the headlines and all that stuff for someone who's kind of on the fence, you know, Jewish music, non-Jewish music. Yeah. You know, I don't know. What's your message to them? Why, why should they care about Jewish music? I think we may mention um, at the beginning of the interview, the power of music. And if you read a little bit of what the power of music is and how it affects the soul and I always put it simply also to the youth, you know, after you hear such a song, what what do you feel? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? It's very simple. It's not, if you don't want to get too deep about, which it is deep, it happens to be deep. But if you don't want to get deep and you say, stop it, you know, stop the, uh, I would put it this to you, you know, when you hear uh, a song with the wrong message, what would you like to do? You don't want to do anything really. You don't walk out saying, you know, I want to change my life. I want to get closer. I want to get connected. You know why? Because your soul doesn't feel any, you, you didn't do anything for your soul. King David, there was a reason why David HaMelech, Tehillim, till this day, is the prayer book that we 
ask and beseech and pray and use that tool. Why? Because that was done with with the right way how to approach music. Now, today, you're right. There's many challenges today. I, I spoke about the 24-6 app that we're coming out this week with uh, what, what it's about and how we want to try to you know do it in a way that's kosher. But you're right. There's temptation. There'll always be temptation uh, with music and with the arts and everything because they have, first of all, they have billions of people. You're talking about nine, ten billion people in the world. You're always going to have, you know, multi-talented, you know, and and obviously their sponsorships and their platforms, you know, and everything they have. There's no question. But at the end of the day, when you hear a good Jewish song with a great Jewish message that you can connect to. There is no greater spiritual feeling and also a feeling of joy, of happiness that I'm, I'm just, you know, elevated to another level. You know, you are. That's, that's just, I showed you the, with, with the story of Rachim of what it could do to a person who's, who's not even all here, what it can do to the depths of the soul. Can you imagine if you're all here and you're able to, and, and I believe, and I believe today there's no greater need, no greater need. Uh, for a connection through music and through the the channel of being happy and being positive and you can be anything and we are a miracle and all these I'm a fighter and all the songs that I've done whatever song you want to point to you know and you lift up your cup and you sing amda on Pesach and you realize every generation we face challenges and you sing that song we are a miracle how great do you feel that you're a part of the greatest nation in the world? And there's no better way to, to connect through music and through that channel of, uh, you know, of what we have. Music is, is created for us to, to really get nourishment for the neshama and really connect to. So I leave you that. I leave you with that. Kolot, you know, <laughs> this Kolot podcast that you do you can continue to spread those voices. Kolot is, one of the songs that, like you said, I'm very honored that you took one of my songs and uh, continue to spread that voice, the voice of hope, the voice of connection, the voice of joy, and the voice of just, you know, bringing the community together and, and positivity. Especially today, you see the anti-Semitism, you see different things that are going around. If we don't stick together and we don't sing We Are a Miracle together with one voice, with one voice, using one voice, one nation, then who's going to do that for us? Who's going to do that for us? Rabbi Yaakov, my final question to you. I know that you learn Torah a lot. I know you still have a Chavrusa. You were so connected to the Kolel and still connected to the Kolel, you, uh, your local Kolel in Deal, New Jersey. Um, and even with all the incredible work that you do, besides singing and the in the children's center, you still learn a lot. Why is Torah learning so important to you? Well, we, we know, first of all, it says Talmud Torah connected Kulam. The, the study of Torah is really something that holds up the world. So, I mean, the greatest thing you can do is to be connected to Torah. Torah also changes community. Whenever you want to change a community, just start a small kolo in that community. You'll see what happens. People gravitate to Torah. People connect to Torah. Torah is a gift way beyond. That's who we are. Torah is really the 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 foundation of uh, of the Jewish people. This is who we are. We stick to the Old Testament and we stick to Torah. We learn and when when somebody wants to improve his character, they say just learn Gemara. 
learn Gemara and learn. The, it doesn't matter what Gemara you're learning, you'll be a different person. I'll never forget, uh, you know, going over the years until today, Baruch Hashem, I'm not, I, I, I still have the opportunity in this chus to be a part of a kolo. To me, that changes life. The way that even if you can't sit and learn all day, if you can have some sort of Torah in your life, of course, support Torah as best you can. But Torah is who we are as a people. And what Torah has done for the world and what Torah has done for our nation is something way beyond just a, you know, uh, just a five minute talk. There is so much to talk about what what Torah can do. So if you can be, it's your time to connect to Torah. There's no question. You can support it as best you can. Uh, the Kolel and your community, Rab Hillel, and the, 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 the Columbus, you know, uh, community and all the, the, the communities of Torah. If you can come out, first of all, learn. You, the, the greatest favor you can do for yourself is learn. Learn Torah. Um, that's for sure. But uh, for sure, support it. And that changes the communities of who we are. So, yeah, it is. It's your time. There's no question about it. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rabbi Yaakov. Much continued Hatzlacha for you, your family. Um, may HaKadosh Baruch Hu continue to shower bracha, changing lives in the Neshama Amen. and with the center, the Nisham, the Guf and the Neshama for many, many years to come. Thank you for coming. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Be well. To listen to all Kolot episodes and see upcoming guests, visit kolopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Kolot on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kolel, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvahs at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L dot org and forever be inspired.